0: Okay, I'm so happy to be here with you one last time, wrap up Philippians together. So if you're not following the saga on Facebook, um, what Kara mentioned, my cat who's almost 22, I thought he was going to die last week. And so, yeah, so preparing has been tough, but God has been gracious and merciful and kind to me, and he's still here, and he might even make it to 22, so... At any rate, here we go. Let's look at, first, uh, what we've, where we've been. So the key thesis of the letter to the Philippians, at least according to Rector William Taylor in his little commentary on Philippians, says that uh, that's contained in uh, chapter 1, verses 27 to 30, where Paul exhorts the Philippians to live worthily of the gospel of Christ, being united and unafraid, as they face opposition and endure suffering. And again, in, one, in 3.30, he reminds them that their most important citizenship isn't their Roman citizenship, but their heavenly one. Citizenship in the kingdom of God from which they have the hope of resurrection. So we've determined that Paul's central concern is for the gospel to continue to go out with power in Philippi. He's shown his friends the heart of Jesus. His own heart's desire to know Jesus above all else. And he's commended Timothy and Epaphroditus to them as further examples to look to as those who put Christ's interests above their own. And now we come to his final words that he wants his treasured friends to remember as this letter is read aloud to them. So let's look oh i'm gonna i'm just gonna read in my NASB. i hope you don't mind it's very close to esb therefore my beloved brethren whom i long to see my joy and my crown i so stand firm in the lord my beloved i urge Yodia and i urge syntyche to live in harmony in the lord indeed true comrade i ask you also to help these women who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel together with clement also and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life notice in in the ESV which is it follows the Greek sorry in the NASB follows the Greek my beloved and my beloved he's he's really pouring out again his his affection on them Uh, we've we've seen this throughout really in in one seven and eight Um, he he says, you know, it's only right for me to feel this way about you because I have you in my heart. Right? And then I, I long for you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And then again in 2.12, he calls them for the first time, my beloved. So see his affection. We hear, we hear his heart for them. Uh, then long, he longs for them, which he's already said in 8, and that's the same word that he used in 2.26 about Epaphroditus longing to be back with with them. He calls them my joy and my crown. He's thinking of standing before the throne of God with them, the children that he's taught and brought whose names are written in the book of life. Surely, if we are to imitate Paul, it would also be in affection for our brothers and sisters in Christ. This was convicting for me because I just, I don't do feelings well. I, that's the, the last part of a development of an Enneagram 8 and an ESTJ in Myers-Briggs. Oh boy. And then he, he exhorts them to stand firm in the Lord. Stand firm thus or in this way. ESV says thus and New American Standard says so and it means in this way. So that takes us back to 127 where he says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. So how, what is the, in this way, how? Look backwards to Jesus and his humility. Look to Paul. Look to Timothy. Look to Epaphroditus. Who put the interests of the kingdom and others ahead of their own? How else? Look forward to the instructions that are coming up. Agree. Help. Rejoice. Don't be anxious, but pray. Ponder Christ-like virtues. Practice the pattern seen in Paul. That list I got from uh, Dennis Johnson and his commentary. Only as they and we are united in their desire to know Jesus and make him known, can they stand against the opposition they're encountering. Then in verse 2, he starts naming names. (laughs) Can you imagine their surprise when they're they're sitting there? He's getting to the, the crux of the letter, Euodia, Syntyche. I urge you to live in harmony, to agree in the Lord." (laughs) Shock. Gordon Fee in his commentary said that calling them out by name is actually more honoring to them than hiding their identities. In doing so, he expressed true friendship to them. Apparently, that's a cultural thing in their literature and writing in this kind of letter. We don't know why they were at odds but whatever it was, it needed to be addressed because these women must have had significant influence in the congregation. The issue doesn't matter so much as their reconciliation as sisters in Christ. By the way, when the Bible does this, doesn't fill us in on all the details, it's so that we can put ourselves in the story. When he says in the ESV to agree, in the Lord. It's actually more like the Greek word is more like to be of the same mind. An exhortation we've heard numerous times already. You can tell what a concern that is for him. Then in verse 3, you can't see this in the English but it's definitely there in the Greek. Paul is emphasizing the witness of gospel work. There are uh, several Greek words that have the Greek prefix that means with. The true companion or yoke fellow, come even in the Latin, our word is Latin companion, it's there, with, someone that Paul is yoked with. And then this companion is to hold with the two women as he helps them reconcile. And because because these women have contended with Paul, for the gospel. But not only these women, but Clement and others have worked with Paul. The gospel work is a witness work, right? We're a family. It takes all of us. And let's read a little bit farther now, about four to nine. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your forbearing spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your request be made known to god and the peace of god which surpasses all comprehension shall guard your hearts and your minds in christ jesus finally brethren whatever is true whatever is honorable whatever is right whatever is pure whatever is lovely whatever is of good repute if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise let your mind dwell on these things the things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me Practice these things, and the God of peace shall be with you. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. The 14th and 15th times that Paul has said this. It comes up once more in verse 10. His friends have lost their joy, which apparently they had in abundance in the beginning, at least according to Second Corinthians 8, 1-5. Maybe Paul was thinking back to a difficult time uh, that Habakkuk wrote about. He's looking over the people of Judah, and he sees oppression. He sees injustice, and he's crying out, Lord, how long are you going to allow this to continue? And God gets back to him and says, oh, I'm I'm about to do something. I'm about to raise up the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, and they're going to come in, and it's going to be really hard. It's going to be... Awful. And even after hearing that at the end, Habakkuk says, Though the fig tree should not blossom, this is 3 17 to 18, by the way, though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. So this isn't like, don't worry, be happy, (laughs) not, not at all. That, that actually is a, I think, I think that song might be ironic. He's talking about homelessness and people stealing your things and this and that, don't worry about it, be happy. That's, that's not what we're talking about here, obviously. Dennis Johnson says, to rejoice in the Lord is to resist the instinct to focus on visible pleasures and problems. It is to concentrate on our minds it is to concentrate our minds deliberately on treasuring the Lord Jesus Christ to focus thought on his majesty and mercy his purity and power to see and savor the glory of God in the face of Christ until our hearts are profoundly persuaded that he really is all we need in every situation and he's going to give us Paul's going to give us some of those thoughts here a second. Um, where it says, let your forbearing spirit be known. What does ESV say? Sorry. What does ESB say? ESV. Reasonable. Reasonableness. Reasonableness. Yeah. The, the Greek, the, the better translation almost all the commentators say is gentleness. Let your gentleness, your gentle forbearance, something like that, be known to everyone. Again, Johnson says, the term refers to the calm and kind disposition that enables a person to offer a nonviolent, even generous, response to others' aggression. And then, the Lord is at hand. I like the way the ESV has a semicolon there. The Lord is at hand, do not be anxious about anything. So a lot of the commentators think that the looking at the Lord is at hand, that's looking backwards and looking forwards, or maybe looking present and looking Forwards. The Lord is here now by his Spirit to help, and he is coming soon to bring an end to all suffering. So, kind of a looking here or back at the Lord's faithfulness and forwards. Maybe Paul was thinking of the words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. Luke says something similar as well, and in Matthew 6. Don't worry about what you're going to eat what you're going to drink or what you're going to wear look at the birds look at the flowers your heavenly father takes care of them you're of much greater value right but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you and Paul will remind them again later of that even and again, this isn't Bobby McFerrin, don't worry, be happy. We aren't numb to life's pain. We look to Christ by the power of the Spirit within us. We trust our Father's love and care for us. And then you see in, in this passage at the beginning of 7 and end of 9, the peace of God and the God of peace. I'm just read this little paragraph in Alec Matier's commentary which is really amazing. It's a very pastoral commentary. We must be careful in stressing the inner effectiveness of this guardian peace, not to limit it to the realm of peaceful feelings, a sense of being at peace. The New Testament idea of peace takes its origin in the Old Testament where peace or shalom possesses the root meaning of wholeness, It is to be sure the inner wholeness of the fulfilled person, but it is also a relational word, including upward peace with God and outward peaceful integration within the society of God's people. It would therefore be an unnatural constriction of Paul's thinking to understand him as offering, say to Euodia and Syntyche, a peace powerful enough to master anxiety but impotent to mend their broken relationship or to imagine him inviting them to lay hold of God's strong peace only as an interior fortress and not also as an antidote to their ill feeling towards each other. Surely, it is also in these outward areas of demonstrable effectiveness that the peace of God is to become apparent as the mark of the supernatural on our lives. I loved that. I thought that was powerful. All right, so in 8 and 9, Paul gives us this uh, first, this list of virtues. So our thoughts and feelings shape our heart, our will, our behavior. Many of these words that he lists can be found throughout Paul and in in some of the uh, New Testament, but More often they're encountered in Jewish wisdom literature, So here's Paul's Hebrew background, but also among great pagan thinkers like Plato and Aristotle and the Stoics who would have been well known, Stoic philosophy would have been well known to the Philippians. So Paul takes this list of things well known to them in their cultural setting and he puts a twist on it by implying that the standard A virtue is the one true creator revealed in the scriptures and his son. Again, maybe Paul was thinking of Jesus's words on his last night with his disciples, which we will honor today. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled neither let them be afraid. And then one more time, Paul admonishes them to practice what they've seen in him. He just did it up in chapter 3, 17. He's doing it. He's doing it again. Paul has obviously pondered Jesus's perfections, and doing so has transformed his lived experience. I'm quoting Johnson again, just like, Megan, you love to come quote, Ferguson, I'm I'm quoting Johnson, fixing and feasting your minds on Jesus must ignite the fire of your will and motivation so you are eager to express your love for him by loving others. And then, contentment. Let's just read a couple here. First, I'm going to read 10, 18, and 19. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. And then 18, but I have received everything in full and have an abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. So he's expressing his profound gratitude to them, which he really hasn't done too much. It sort of maybe implied at the beginning, but here he's really, this is what he wants them to hear it at last how profoundly grateful he is and he confirms that their generosity will be honored by God with his abundant provision for them in their poverty. And Let's take a peek at 11 to 13. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means. I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. This is not Paul saying thanks, but no thanks. Rather, he's teaching them his response to adversity. So the Greek, the Greek word for content is self-sufficient. Now, that's kind of interesting, but Paul is again picking up a Stoic concept. They Again, this is going to be familiar to them. Johnson, and then he quotes another commentator, Hanson, they say this, The key to contentment, said the Stoics, was to become emotionally self-sufficient by insulating oneself from the variables of pain and pleasure. And then Hansen says, by the exercise of reason over emotions, the Stoic learns to be content. For the Stoic, emotional detachment is essential in order to be content. Not with Paul. We've seen lots of emotion in this letter. Paul transforms the Stoic idea of self-sufficiency into Christ-sufficiency. This is something that Paul has learned by practicing it. Johnson again, contentment grows over time as we face adverse situations in finances, health, relationships, or other areas and seek Christ's strength to release our grip on his gifts while we strengthen our grasp on his grace. We can't will ourselves to be content you don't have enough willpower to do it. This is a work of God in our hearts to transform our desires. So what did I get out of this study of Philippians and how would I wrap it up for you? Paul wants these precious people to mature in Christ. He wants them to get back their joy He wants them to live and love like brothers and sisters in Christ. He wants them to learn Christ-like humility so that they can put the interests of the kingdom and others above their own. He wants them to trust God's love and provision for them. He wants them to learn detachment, contentment in their circumstances, whatever they may be, and retain their joy. Paul is basically talking about the transformation of their wills to conformity to God's will. This is where I am in my journey. Have you ever experienced this phenomenon? You keep encountering a word over and over and over again in your reading or listening or interactions. Recently, I keep encountering two words too frequently for my comfort level, <laughs> wrestling and surrender. I'm wrestling with God. I'm trying to hold on to my ways of protecting myself because I don't want to be hurt. And God wants me to surrender to His love so that I can experience the fullness that he wants me to experience of his love and joy. Dallas Willard, in his book, Renovation of the Heart, speaks of the transformation of the will in chapter 8. I'll summarize him this way. Surrender of our will produces contentment in our life, which provokes us to participate with passion in God's grand story. Of redemption and restoration. I'm gonna sound like a broken record, but I'm gonna tell you the secret of how to get on this journey, which may or may not be fully realized by any one of us in this life. It's prayer. This must include prayer in silence and stillness before God. Praise, intercession, confession, lament, are all wonderful and prescribed forms of prayer, but silence and stillness are foundational and imperative for transformation. So I've left for you here a a graph uh, from another book I'm reading by David Benner, Desiring God's Will, because that's what I want right now. That's what I'm working hard on. And I I thought this was so helpful. The kingdom of self, the values of the kingdom of self versus the the kingdom of God. And it just reminded me of Philippians and what Paul wants these people to learn, what Paul himself is a lot farther along on the journey in learning. So just reflect on those. We won't, we won't take the time now. And then, Megan, again, like you, as I was... Just wrapping up, I, I this this song that uh, Indelible Grace has done, but it's an old Charles Wesley hymn. Just kept coming to me. Jesus, lover of my soul, let me to Thy bosom fly. Do you know, ladies, that Jesus loves you? You are His beloved. That's what He wants you to know. And if you just show any attention to you know, he, when he may give you some little something that he wants you to notice that he's there pay attention pay attention because he wants you then to be drawn in to this love that he has for you because he wants your willfulness to get out and he wants you to desire his will first and foremost so that the gospel can go forth throughout the whole world. Let's pray. Dearest Father, would you indeed make our wills your own? Lord, some of us, probably most of us, are truly so busy. There's so much going on in our lives. But help us And help us to help each other make the time. Find little little bits even minutes, just minutes just seconds maybe to turn to you, to notice to thank you to receive your love that you might transform us to be lovers of you and great lovers of others. Bless these women as they now break up into their small group time. Uh, May they have a fruitful and edifying conversation with one another. Thank you for being with us. We ask it all in Jesus' name, Amen. amen.